0: Welcome to the first episode of Madam Xanadu, presented by Don't Sue Us, Please. A cinematic adventure for your ears that tells mysterious tales by fans and for fans. Don't Sue Us, Please is a binaural podcast. We strongly recommend using headphones. For more, stay tuned after the episode. Here for a moment and gone in a flash. They had a brief encounter with the United States Air Force at Andrews Air Force Base. They seem to have disappeared, but left their emissary, Wonder Woman. Can she be trusted? More on that after the break.
1: Enter freely and unafraid. I am Madame Xanadu. Perhaps you are uneasy. Perhaps because, if you have heard of me, it has not been pleasant. Many things said about me can be considered disturbing. Like many rumors and stories, there is just enough truth mixed in with embellishments and lies so as to seem just plausible enough. At the moment, though, you've come to ask me a question. The specifics of the question are unimportant. Most questions, at their basis, are about two things only. The first is death. There is precious little I can do to answer that. Even the most powerful of us, even those who can speak with those who have crossed, cannot tell you what lies beyond. The dead do not have the vocabulary to describe it, and the living have not the vocabulary to ask the proper questions. You've come to me about love, correct? That is the second and far more universal question love. When will it find me? When will my heart stop aching? Love is the most powerful force in the universe. Love is the engine that drives us. The heroes, you know, the most famous are driven by love. Love of the world, of life of family and friends. The most wicked and foul are also driven by love. Love of power, of chaos and fire, of knowledge. There is a thin line, indeed, between the best of us and the worst. Sit, please. Let us consult the cards, and they will tell us what you wish to know. They speak in whispers, often in riddles. It is not up to us to listen to what they say as much as it is to listen to what they do not. Ah, yes, the Emperor. Sometimes the mind must rule heart. Perhaps people accuse you of not feeling much, of being colder and detached. This is you. The Three of Cups. You have studied and learned. The knowledge you have gained in the past is beginning to influence your future. Hmm. The Knight of Wands. This may not be you, but instead be someone you've come into contact with who is more spontaneous. Someone who will put you into new adventures. Someone who will make you forget your plan. The Lover's? How appropriate. However, the Lover's card often indicates a crossroads or a path. Two choices which may be mutually exclusive. The one choice cannot be made without acceptance of the other. The cards do not point to a specific path, but I have a story that may illuminate the darkness. Perhaps you've heard of Andrew Bennett, No. Surprising. Like myself, he is known to fewer, but if you know me, I'm surprised you do not know him. He is known by another name. Vampire. He first walked the earth in the late 1500s. A vampire happened to find Andrew, and so it turned him. Vampires pass on the curse of blood, but they do not turn their victims into a savage. Predatory, yes, but not wild. If they did that, perhaps our story would be somewhat less tragic. The creature that turned Andrew Bennett had been born cruel. Some men, some people, are. It grabbed him late at night. Andrew was walking the grounds of his estate when the creature attacked and brought him to the family tomb. Centuries ago, families would keep their dead on the property. Andrew Bennett's mausoleum was separate from the house. That was why the vampire was able to hide him for days. It was cold and dark in the tomb. Andrew Bennett shivered because he thought he should. The creature taunted him, wanting to break the human spirit left inside of Andrew. When some humans are turned to creatures of the night, they may embrace the power. Their hunger is increased, as at the beginning of every creature's life, they are babies and they are very hungry. Young vampires want to feed all the time. The hot blood of humans makes them feel less alien. It gives their bodies some last remnants of their lost humanity. Not Andrew Bennett. He lay curled on the ground of the tomb, crying and praying to not be so hungry. The creature let him know he could feed upon animals. The rats crawled across the tomb floor, sniffing at Andrew, and yet he could not bring himself to feast on them. As Andrew prayed, he already knew he was damned. He believed, truly believed, that nothing could save him. Not even love. Have you ever known thirst? True thirst? Imagine, knowing what pure, clear water tastes like, and then one day all you can find is water tainted with dirt and oil. It may satisfy your thirst, but provides no enjoyment. That is what the blood of a rat is to a vampire. Yet after three days Andrew drank it gratefully, greedily. You cannot truly judge him, for you see what happened was more than Andrew's mind could endure. The creature threatened the woman that Andrew Bennett loved, Mary Seward. She was everything that Andrew Bennett desired in a wife. She was loving and witty, she was beautiful, and she was vulnerable. As Andrew Bennett was praying for strength to let himself die from the hunger for blood now consuming him, the thing that created him hunted Mary Seward. Late at night while Mary was in mourning for her missing lover, she was being watched. Every night for a week she would walk in her garden. Late at night when she couldn't sleep, she would slip into her garden, smelling her flowers and thinking of Andrew. Late at night she would weep openly out of the sight of her servants. The unnamed vampire watched Mary for three nights before he took her. Mary Seward was brought in front of an Andrew Bennett almost mad from hunger. The plan was that Andrew Bennett would devour Mary's blood and would himself be driven mad. This creature, however, had forgotten the power of true and pure love. The creature threw Mary Seward into the tomb with Andrew and shut the door, sealing the lovers, one alive, one undead together. Andrew struggled to free his love from the prison of a tomb. Andrew Bennett did not know if the creature who turned him waited outside. He knew only that he wanted to save the woman he loved. The tomb doors, they are heavy stone and metal. Some believe this is to keep the grave robbers out. Others believe they are heavy to keep the ghosts inside. We None of us can be sure what the entire truth is. But truth is not why I tell this story. Love is. Love is truth in its purest form, both its most beautiful and its ugliest, pettiest form. What you must know is that Andrew Bennett freed Mary Seward from the vault. He freed her and he stopped the vicious creature who wanted to torture them both. The battle did not end as the creature thought. It underestimated love. Love, you will see, should you not already know, is not poetry and flowers, not candy and longing glances cast from across the room. Love is visceral, and real, and angry. Those, like this demon, who are incapable of it, or have not yet experienced it, have no understanding of how fierce and powerful love can be. We are designed to be hardy creatures. Love is no different. Poets, novelists, playwrights, songwriters, they have ever longed to make love as delicate as Gossamer. It is not. It is sturdy as steel. True love must be to survive. I speak not only of romantic love, though it is the most common usage of the word. Have you ever seen a lioness defend her cubs? An enemy's blood will be the most spilled, then... Lovers survived, and Andrew Bennett would drink only the blood of animals. It kept him fed, and for a time they lived happily. They went to the theater in the evening. They had musicians over with friends and family for dinner. Andrew kept his land free of the vampires that had roamed before he was turned. They stayed far away from him and his people. Things were quite good. And then Mary Seward noticed something. Something small let us speak for a moment about time people will often speak of years flying by that is not true it is not the years it is what makes up the years a year is made of months and weeks and days and minutes and seconds and when you are an immortal the minutes do not fly at all they drag on, like a snail pulling itself through sand. For an immortal, there is nothing but time. To many, it would have meant nothing. But when she saw a hint of gray in her hair, Mary felt a panic. She saw herself aging, her face becoming lined with each smile and frown and worry etched on her face. Her hands would become more difficult to use, pained and swollen, and she would no longer feel his flesh the same way. She pictured herself doused in perfume to dull the smell of death so that Andrew would not recoil from her. She thought of no longer being able to be intimate with him. Worse, she imagined him desiring other women. You see, Mary was a jealous woman, though she would never describe herself as that. Jealousy and love are forever intertwined. There cannot be one without the other, no matter how much we would wish it." Andrew Bennett laughed when Mary told him about her gray hair. Any being whose life is not measured in time would have done the same, but Mary didn't understand that. Not then. For him, the years would drag by. Nothing would change. His body was frozen in amber, and he'd forgotten that she would be altered forever by the passage of time. Mary reminded him how much she loved him, how when she spoke of being with him forever, that was now possible. Instead of growing old together as they would have if they both remained human, he would remain forever young, she pointed out. They wouldn't even be able to walk the gardens together, she argued, let alone make love. He would turn from her, she pleaded. She did not, of course, mention that she was just as afraid of his loving another. She couldn't mention that. It would have been petty. Foolish, even. Mary Seward smiled sweetly and wondered if he would do anything for her. Andrew never sensed the trap. Poor fool. And he wondered aloud what could they do? The answer was so obvious. But we rarely see the obvious. We look for complicated answers. It seems inconsequential, but we forget that simplicity is the easiest route. Perhaps he wouldn't even have thought about it had he not been in love. For having known love, who would want to be alone for an eternity? Everything that happened afterwards happened because of Andrew's promise to marry. A promise he made out of love. You can see that what happened was the fault of love. Of something as pure as one heart entwined with another was the cause of every tragedy that was to follow. If he had known what would happen, would he have made a different decision in that one moment? Some things are inevitable. I, above all people, know this. Perhaps he was afraid on some level. But nothing is so hopeful as love. Which is perhaps the cruelest joke that love plays. I suppose that's part of the story, isn't it? I have no way of knowing how long it took Mary to convince Andrew. Were there tears? Pleading? Humor? Humor? I'm certain there was all of the above. There are generally a million tactics with an idea born of such passion. Perhaps I should tell you why I use the word passion instead of love. Love is, uh, it can be selfless and worn. Passion, on the other hand, burns hot and rough. It is not kind nor thoughtful, but it is forever entwined with love And like twins, they are often mistaken for another. Andrew told her to enjoy the world for one more week. If you had one more day, not one day on the earth, but one more day to experience all that you've experienced before, what would you do? Would you feel the sun on your face for the final time? perhaps visit a church? Would you eat fine food and get stinking drunk? Think of what you would do with one more day. Would you give all that you are for love? In the end, though, he loved her. So much so that he took her life and gave a semblance of some life back to her. Time passed quietly. Both Andrew and Mary kept to their promise of only drinking the blood of animals. They kept other vampires away from their territory. Their lives were mundane. As mundane as the life of a vampire can be, I suppose. They spent nights by the fire, reading, entertaining their society friends from before the change. They explained away an inability to socialize during the day by creating a French doctor who diagnosed Andrew with a rare skin condition, where he was unable to withstand the light of the sun. Mary, of course, was the dutiful paramour. The trouble started after many years of routine. Mary was taking a late-night constitutional through the streets, as she often did. She was more restless than Andrew, and perhaps that is what caused the problems. She would walk the most deserted of roads, enjoying the solitude, simply thinking. Now and then she would partake of a midnight feast of deer blood or bear. Sometimes she would simply hunt creatures through the forest, testing the limits of her strength and speed. Mary would start in the forest and walk slowly into town, moving from the pitch darkness of the wood to the dim lights of the center of town. There was one night Mary was walking and she heard something that caught her attention. She heard the sound of a fist on skin, followed by the cry of a woman. Mary carefully followed the sound, silent as she could be, until she came across a small house on the cheap side of town. Mary peered in window after window until she found the source of the sound. It was a man Mary had socialized with before. His name was Ian Percival, Mr. Percival was a cruel man He had a little money Enough in those days to be considered rather well off He felt that would allow him to abuse women That night Mary watched as he beat a woman Known as a lady of the evening It was very late that night When Mary's fall began Ian was on his way home from the whore's room Mary walked by him and stared. Ian Percival noticed Mary, and he was confident in his own importance, which is why he followed when she beckoned him into the alleyway. He followed her to the very end. It was almost unsatisfying for Mary. She misjudged her own strength, unused as she was, to using it against human beings. She hit him. Hard. She heard something crack and thought it was his neck. She was rather relieved to find out that it was simply his jawbone. When he started to stir, Mary carried him like a newborn babe into the woods. She stripped him of his clothes. What she said to him is lost to the winds. Words are carried on the wind until they fade. Lost to time. Mary tortured him. There is no other way to describe it. She hunted him through the woods, hurting him, cutting him, using her strength to break bones before she let him loose again. She laughed when he begged for mercy. She spat upon him. She humiliated him every way she could think of, and still it was not enough. Just before the sun rose, she drained him of every drop of blood. It was the first time she had ever tasted human blood, and it excited her beyond anything she'd encountered before. To make sure he would never return again, she ripped his head clean off his body and left him in the woods for the forest animals to eat, running home to burn her torn and ripped dress and to wash the blood from her face before Andrew could see it. Poor Mary. She wanted so badly to keep her secret. But secrets are always revealed. And when Andrew smelt the blood on her breath, Mary justified her actions. He was an evil man. She would never hurt someone who didn't deserve it. And if only Andrew had tasted his blood, it was sweeter than anything. Andrew replied that he would never hurt a human being, that life was precious, and how could she betray him like that? Love kept them together as they decided to speak of it no longer. Perhaps the story would have ended differently had Mary no longer tried to keep secrets. On her walks, she would find someone, someone who hit their child, someone who robbed a widow. Now and then, of course, people would disappear, and they still do. And she swore that it was bad people, and for a time it was only the wicked Only Mary herself knows what caused her to take an innocent life. Perhaps it was the heady rush of holding life and death in her hands. Perhaps it was merely petty jealousy. Addiction is universal. We all have something that touches our most private desires and draws us in. For some it's most obvious Drinking, gambling, illicit drugs For others still it is less obvious Books, film, music There are those who become addicted to things Such as love Andrew Bennett was addicted to Mary Seward She was the first woman who made his heart flutter Perhaps that was why he overlooked so much Mary killed gleefully, indiscriminately, and Andrew pretended it didn't happen. The time came when Andrew could no longer ignore her. It took many years, but it arrived. Mary had feasted upon a young couple. They were kind and innocent and had no evil in their lives or haunts. They were simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. The sun had set a few hours before, and the young couple was walking. I heard tell that the baby was crying, and the warm night air would often calm the tears, and thus they were out long after they should have been. Mary saw them and decided she would end their lives. Her attack was not the savage thing it was against her first victim. It was cruel and cunning, and subtle. First, she approached the wife and asked to see the child, to hold her for just a moment. Mary, she told them, had only recently lost her own child to a fever, and that was why she couldn't sleep at night. She looked at the young man and told of how her husband had left her when the child was born, run off for another woman, leaving her alone. The woman held Mary's hand and stroked her hair while Mary smiled at the baby, Perhaps, Mary suggested, she could come back the following evening just to see the baby and to see such a happy, loving couple. It would surely mean so much to her. The young woman told Mary where she lived and asked her to come visit them. She didn't feed that night. She simply let her mouth water with sweet anticipation. Vampires do not dream, but if they could have... Mary's would have frightened a demon. She went back the next night to their home, where she was welcomed with open arms. She held the baby and rocked in a chair in front of their hearth. Mary felt no warmth, but she felt the rush of the hunt in her blood. It took some time, but when the baby went to sleep and Mary handed the child back, the mother went to tuck the child in for the night. The man she took quickly and quietly. She snapped his neck with a quick turn and then slapped the woman so hard she was knocked unconscious. The man she drained quickly. For when the blood cooled too much, it was not to Mary's liking. And Mary liked things to be the way she liked them. The woman awoke to find her husband's eyes open and staring from his rocking chair. Mary held the baby in her arms. The poor woman cried and pled for her baby, She offered what money they had, what little they could give if only Mary would spare the baby. Mary simply smiled. Mary told the woman she was a bad mother for allowing both her husband and child to die. And then she laid the baby gently down and drained the woman of blood. Mary looked at the dead woman and smiled. She took both corpse of the woman and the crying child and brought them to Andrew's mausoleum. She left the child next to the body and took yet one more step toward her destiny. She brought the woman back to life as a vampire and sealed the two within the tomb. For three nights, Mary waited patiently. When the house was quiet, Mary imagined she could hear the newly born vampire screaming. When she finally went back into the room... Mary saw the woman cradling the baby in her arms. The child was dead, drained of blood by its own mother. The woman rocked back and forth, and Mary laughed. Andrew Bennett found out about the woman, and if Mary thought she could control him, she was wrong. He threatened, yelled, wept, begged, all for her to stop. She threw her hunting into his face, and he banished her from his home, from his life. He told her if she were ever to enter his home or area of protection, he would kill her. Mary laughed at his threat and dared him to stop her. He could not. He would not dare stop her. She was so much stronger than he was, if not physically, then mentally. He would never be the type of man who would do what was necessary. He was weak and soft. She was not able to get another word out, for Andrew slapped her hard across the face. Mary flew across the room. She laughed then. She launched herself at him and tried to make love. He kissed her. It was rough and hard with no hint of kindness or gentility. Did he regret that? That their last kiss held no reflection of where their journey began? Of course. But he did not regret for one moment the wooden stick he drove into her heart. He dragged her body to his tomb and sealed her in, waiting until the following evening before he began to travel the world, aimless, without love. If only Mary had completely died that night. Some spirits hold tight to the physical world because of love. Mary's held on because of her anger, her hate, There was a foolish, arrogant woman who tied her to our world, where Mary is called forth by the simplest of rituals. Bloody Mary walks the world for one night when she is called, and she kills, out of jealousy and spite. But that is a story for another time. Tragedy, yes. All stories end in a tragedy of some sort when they are followed through until the end. For all stories end in a type of death. Not just physical, but death of innocence. Death of love. As I said, perhaps love simply isn't meant to last beyond a lifetime. But forgive me. You came to ask me about your own love, didn't you? And I told you a story, and now you wonder why. The truth is that it was meant to illustrate that love can burn too hot and scorch. Or the truth is that it was meant to indicate that the true basis of any love must be honesty, and without it, without communication, lovers will always destroy each other. Or the truth is that I wanted to point out that lovers must be of one mind about the important things, or they are doomed to struggle. Or the truth is that I wish to remind myself of lovers' past. Or perhaps the truth is that it had no deeper meaning at all. Perhaps it was simply a story it amused me to tell you. Please come back again and see me. I wish to know how your story ends. My door is always open to those in need. For I, am Madame Xanadu.
0: You've been listening to Madame Xanadu by Don't Sue Us Please. Written by John Petrie. Directed by Kelly Monroe Johnston. Music and sound design by Josh Wilson. Creative producer, Nora Barpal. Producer, Matthew Klein. This episode features the voice talents of Alejandra Venancio. For more content, you can find us on all podcasting platforms at Don't Sue Us, Please. We post new content every Friday. Don't Sue Us, Please is brought to you by listeners like you subscribing to us on Patreon. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the superhero podcast. Finally, go give us a follow on social media. We're on all platforms at the superhero podcast. Thanks for listening.